0: Hi, and welcome to LeechFest, a medical history podcast where we serve the medical history tea scalding hot, but only in healthy amounts. My name is Mia.
1: And my name is Salem.
0: And today we're talking about eating disorders and unhealthy eating, Uh, the history of it, the effects it has on the body, and what might be behind the reasons why we developed them in the first place. Controversial topic. Dark topic, a little bit. It's, it's medical history. There's never, there's never an upper episode mm-hmm. here.
1: Mm-hmm. Most episodes are not happy episodes. No,
0: there's the happy bug, that the happy epidemic that spread across Europe mm-hmm. and killed millions. Uh, but before we dig into all of that kind of stuff, how have you been?
1: Should we tell people about our first episode attempt?
0: <laughs> sure, if you want to.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. So this is the first. The this is the second time we're actually recording this episode because it it was my fault i will admit um it was was an accident it was an accident i we so we recorded this last week and it was a long episode three
0: hour long episode yeah
1: we recorded it last week and then i deleted the file (laughs) um yeah, it was and kind we, of a mess.
0: And we looked through your computer using like software that the cops use to like find deleted files. And let we me, still couldn't wait, find it let me
1: Let me tell the story because okay. we didn't look through it. Okay, I, I looked through it with a classmate who was nice enough, uh, nice enough to try to help me find it. Um, and I actually didn't tell you this, but I have a funny story about it. Oh. Um okay, so like you said, it's a software that cops use to investigate like hard drives, mm-hmm. <laughs> um suspicious hard drives. Yeah. So it basically it basically brings up everything that has been deleted. And so I was sitting with my classmate and I was like, okay, so you're gonna see everything that I've ever deleted from my computer, huh? <laughs> like I sure hope nothing weird pops up. And then at some point a file pops up titled manifesto. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: Um and I'm like hmm
0: <laughs> I don't I wonder what's that? What's that? I don't, I don't
1: okay. So apparently it's a computer thing, but I remember yeah. seeing that and being like <laughs> Was that? <laughs> um he was very cool about it and uh
0: because like computers yeah like computers have manifestos in them Mm -hmm. uh for just that's just a name of a type of file yeah
1: but it felt i i don't know that i don't know anything about computers so seeing (laughs) manifesto.txt or something Mm -hmm. show up was a little bit weird
0: a little sus
1: a little sus um but shout out to lise for helping me uh, or, I mean, you know, trying did, to, trying to yeah. go through my files. Because as
0: you can hear from now, we didn't succeed.
1: We did not succeed. We have to re-record. Yeah. Other than that... Uh, we were on holiday. We were on holiday. Yeah, that's that's a thing. We went skiing in Norway.
0: Which is one of the reasons why this video, this episode it's is coming out. Late, yeah. so it's super late, yeah. Yeah, because <clears> we, <throat> took, we took December off for the holidays. Mm-hmm. And then every single person in the world wanted us to do work all of January at the Mm -hmm. exact same time, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. I
1: started my thesis also, so it's been really stressful about that, but I'm doing really, really cool stuff. Um, I actually asked my supervisor yesterday if I can like talk about what I'm doing and I don't, I haven't gotten really a clear answer about it yet, (laughs) but I can say that I am building um, cerebral organoids from stem cells, which is really, really, really cool. Um, and I'm really excited about um, the project. Mm. Speaking of the holidays, do you want to tell them how you took a tumble?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, because we went to Norway on a ski trip. I, d- I haven't skied before, like properly like alpine mm-hmm. skiing. Because who the fuck alpine skis? Rich people do. And rich I'm not a rich. Uh, like we're not. are not rich people. <laughs> I am. I come from the rural working class. Yeah. My family have been union men. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh so, like, I don't I don't know what the fuck this means. I've never been skiing before. It was very fun. But it also meant that, like, we went on the easy, easy the very slopes, easy, yeah. easy slopes where, like, babies go on. Like, legitimate, like, toddlers. And they have no problem. Toddlers, they do flips. They do, like, yeah. 360 no-scopes. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm, like, trying to go down slowly, going to pizza pie. Yeah. And accidentally go super quickly over, like, a little a bump. bump and f- taking, you know, getting airtime and getting ground time Going with my face
1: yeah yeah um uh,
0: getting yeah. a nice little bruise on my yeah, on my cheekbone you
1: had, you had a, a swollen cheekbone half of a black eye
0: close to a black eye yeah,
1: yeah. No. that was a
0: that was a rough week
1: but i mean we had a good, we had a great time uh it was very expensive <laughs> We, oh, had, yeah. we had, uh, I posted about it, there was a, a little bit of a lasagna gate that we had in Norway. Fucking lasagna. But it was really fun. Um,
0: I told you that the prices for food would be expensive there and you were like, no, it's was, like Sweden. I was it's gonna in denial,
1: for sure. Yeah. Um,
0: denial is a river in Egypt. D- 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 Norwegian <laughs> food is expensive.
1: <laughs> it's true. Should we get into the episode?
0: Let's dive into this scrumptious meal.
1: Before we do that, we have a patron to thank this month for thanking Shiloh. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, You've been waiting for this shout out for a few months now, and here, here it comes. Here it is. Uh, Served in
0: a hot platter.
1: Eating disorder episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like, but there's no uppers here. Like, if you're gonna get a shout out, it's like instead of this or like parasitic leech or some shit Mm. like that. Like, it's never gonna be like a fun.
1: Testicular cancer.
0: Well, thank you, Shiloh, for supporting the podcast and making sure that we, that we can do this podcast because it, it, it's, not, it's not cheap making a podcast like this. And thanks to the support of people like you, we get to keep going. Uh, and if you would like to have a shout out, you should go to our Patreon and uh, become a patron because you not only do you get a shout out in the episode, potentially, you can also get a lovely video version of the episode where you can see our lovely faces.
1: And also my hilarious edits
0: <laughs> they're very good yeah they're very visual they're like there's visual shit in there that you don't get in the, in the audio podcast
1: yeah um, but anyway with that being said let's get into the episode all right this episode follows the standard format so first section i'm gonna give an overview of eating disorders and like most people know what eating disorders are and like what's out there but I just generally like to have a little introduction to the episode. So generally, eating disorders are classified as impaired eating habits. And there's a wide range of ways in which this can manifest. So most people know about anorexia, uh, bulimia, and binge eating disorders. But there's quite a few other ones that have recently been getting a lot of attention. And I think it's really interesting how <laughs> eating disorders like develop with time. Like, There's cultural developments that cause the emergence of new mental illnesses. How yeah. exciting. I love li- living in, in modern times.
0: I love living. Th- that's the fucked up about psychology, right? That's like society changes. Mm-hmm. So we find new ways to mm-hmm. get fucked up.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's also a few misconceptions about eating disorders, which I think is kind of interesting. And I'm gonna go over that too. So let's start with anorexia. As most people know, this is a disorder where people severely restrict the amount of food that they eat. Um, and it's also common that people are preoccupied by weight and body image and typically have body dysmorphia, which is where they you know, look at themselves in the mirror and they think they're much bigger than like they actually are. And here I do want to say that while it's common that people are thin when they have anorexia, that's not a pre-requirement for having anorexia. And this is kind of a misconception held even by medical professionals. And this leads to misdiagnosis. Um, but, I mean, anorexia is a collection of behaviors and should be diagnosed not on whether a person fulfills the fin criteria. And this is something about psychology that I have a lot of, like, personal beef with. Because with anorexia and a few other mental, disor- like, mental illnesses, mental disorders, like, they're diagnosed on they're only diagnosed when it's reached like a point where the person has already encountered or has already like developed damage. Yeah, um, has reached damage, and it's not really. Psychologists don't really look at
0: like the preceding um, steps. The preceding
1: ones. steps, like they'll only diagnose you when you've actually like gotten really, really sick um and this is common in a lots like lots of other mental illnesses and it's probably because the dsm-5 is like really old <laughs> and it gets updated once every what well, like 10 years 20 years
0: the fucking dsm like they need to it's such an outdated format to do things mm-hmm, all either mm-hmm. to just have like a a glossary of like mental diseases yeah and that... it's very
1: rigid too and yeah. especially with i mean mental illnesses like it's very rare that a person just has like one yeah it, and like most people have multiple and they interact in complex ways yeah um which leads to the person, like, very rarely fulfilling all criteria yeah. in, like in a in very neat thing. way. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I feel like diagnosed, diagnosing people based on, like, how many points do you have? And, like, if you have five points instead of six points, then you don't get a diagnosis yeah. and you just go and, like, suffer. <laughs>
0: yeah. This podcast got beefed with the DSM format.
1: Yeah. We've, also we've like- been having, like, we've been beefing with the DSM for, like, 20 episodes now.
0: Yeah. Also, like other fields within medicine don't have a similar format. It's not like cardiologists just have like a book of various heart diseases and like tally up people's points rather right? like, oh, you didn't your heart attack wasn't you you had fifty points out of I required fifty five so this isn't really a heart attack, so we're not going to give you help.
1: But your heart is only twenty five percent necrotic oh it's sorry. not
0: quite enough. <laughs> to actually fit the diagnostic criteria of the hsm-5 mm-hmm. so get okay, fucked like the, like why like why is this format so sort of like held on to so rigidly i, mm-hmm. mean, I actually wonder that we can make a whole episode about the dsm mm-hmm.
1: but back to anorexia basically it so this like misconception prevents people from getting help early and they are diagnosed when they reach like a point of like no return almost because anorexia causes a lot of damage to the body. Anyway, there's two categories of anorexia. There's the restrictive subtype where people um, just restrict the amount of food that they eat. And then there's the binge purge subtype where people alternate between restriction and episodes of overeating followed by purging, which is, you know, overuse of laxatives, diuretics, or overexercising. And anorexia actually is among the mental disorders with with the highest mortality rates, uh, which can be caused by health complications, which by the way, there's a lot of them. Just to name a few, extreme restriction can lead to anemia, muscle wasting, bone weakening, infertility, brain damage, damage to the structure and function of the heart, slowed pulse and organ failure. And I'm not trying to sensationalize this, but chronic restriction can really damage your body irreversibly. Um, This is especially an issue when the person who is restricting is a child or a teenager because their body is very much still developing. So, you know, it's a very, very severe illness. Um, So health complications is a leading cause of death, but the second cause is suicide. Um, So definitely something to really take seriously. The other two types of eating disorders are, or some of the other types of eating disorders are binge eating disorder and bulimia. And they are somewhat similar in that they're characterized by episodes of binging, where the person has recurrent episodes where they eat large amounts of food. And actually, there have been even studies looking at the similarities between these disorders and alcohol and drug addiction. But the scientific community is a little bit divided still on whether they're similar enough to like categorize them mm-hmm. the same and treat them the same. Yeah. But some of the brain regions that get activated when a person, um, you know, is addicted to something, are also activated in people who have like bulimia or binge eating disorder. So there's definitely something there. The difference between binge eating disorder and bulimia is that bulimia is followed by behaviors that compensate for overeating, like forced vomiting, fasting, excessive exercise, and use of laxatives and diuretics. And both of these disorders come with a range of health consequences. For bulimia, the symptoms depend on the purging method. Mm. Um, so, like if a person vomits, it can be enamel loss and tooth decay. Uh, so it's just sp-
0: bad. General, like you know, we're you know humans are supposed to throw up occasionally, right? Yeah, but not like that's but that's exactly. why we can't throw up. But, yeah. like if you throw up too much, that's not good either.
1: Yeah. So, and especially if you make yourself throw up.
0: Yeah.
1: So the stomach acid obviously damages teeth. But um
0: And also the throat too, I bet. Yeah, the throat. Yeah. The throat
1: tissue. But it also can cause reflux disorder and also gastrointestinal disorders. Um again, because you're not supposed to force yourself yeah. to throw up. But also can cause electrolyte imbalance, mm-hmm. which then can cause organ damage, strokes, or heart attacks. As far as binge eating, you mostly hear about psychological effects because there's a lot of stigma associated with it. But there have been cases where people suffering from binge eating have literally had their stomach tissue become ischemic and undergo necrosis. Or even rupture, which has a very high mortality rate. Yeah, the
0: stomach's not supposed to rupture. No. Like, it's supposed to be a closed bag. Also, like whenever necrosis is always one of those words. Yeah. That, like whenever you hear it, it's like, oh, that shit's bad. Yeah, like, you're not supposed to have that.
1: Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine the gastric rupture can be caused or most often it's caused by um, you know stomach distension because of the high volume of food that, that a person might eat but it can also be caused by gas release from the fermentation of gastric contents or due to improper home remedies so like I said there's a lot of stigma associated with binge eating so people like might not seek medical attention like if if something is wrong so then they will undergo like home remedies yeah. and apparently something that is very popular or something that you like if you you know if you're feeling sick and you go online or like oh you know like what what do i do yeah. something that people suggest is ingesting baking soda
0: Yeah, know don't do that
1: <laughs> um baking
0: soda goes in cookies and that does not go you don't eat baking soda folks because mm-hmm. that should like like you said that's that's going to release a lot of gas in your stomach
1: yeah so what happened yeah yeah so what happens is it uh, gets combined with gastric acid, and that releases gas, like yeah. you said, and that even, like distends the stomach yeah. even more.
0: It's like that uh, science experiment you did with when the you were five years old. It's literally like, like that, right? Because that is baking soda. Mm-hmm. It, bu- it bubbles up with, combined with acid.
1: What, what kind of acid do you use for the volcano? I have
0: no idea. You've
1: never done the volcano experiment? I
0: haven't actually, no. I, I did the experiment. My th- The thing I did in childhood... Uh, during science class was the thing where you mix two chemicals together and they shoot up the the bottle
1: I very don't quickly. think I've heard that okay
0: well you well, have like a, you have a thing of them or something you have a thing of another thing and then you combine them into a, a tube mm-hmm. very very like very quickly and then they mix and then they they form a, like a gas mm-hmm. very quickly so, so it, it shoots up into the sky no, I don't remember what yeah. it was. If you're if you're 13 years old and has got to science class, you will know what it is though.
1: I I wouldn't do any of the shit. Oh, we yeah. did equations and math
0: in chemistry. <laughs> chemistry? Yeah. We got to we got to go around with vials and shit. It no, was great.
1: Nothing. Mm-hmm. Eastern Europe chemistry is not very <laughs> hands-on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they they're prepping you for university.
1: Yeah. I mean, also, I don't know. I no playtime.
0: Like, you-, you must Contribute to the state.
1: <laughs> you must contribute to society. Yeah, um, yeah I was school. school it was a private school too. So yeah, my parents paid a lot of money for me to go to that school, and I guess the budget didn't accommodate. I don't know baking soda and something else.
0: I but I, I feel like I feel like because I feel like they do the baking soda experiments when they don't know what else to do. Yeah, like they've already shown you the video. Hey kids, videos. Want to see something cool. <laughs> yeah, kind of like oh I don't know what to do today. Let's just spend like an hour mixing things together and people and kids go. (laughs)
1: Mm. I'm trying to think what cool, cool stuff they actually showed us in school. And I'm drawing a blank.
0: (laughs) The only thing I remember specifically of them showing us in school is is that and the time they rolled in the TV to show us 9-11.
1: I was in kindergarten for 9-11. I think Mm -hmm. I mentioned this in another episode, but I don't remember 9-11.
0: Yeah. And I'm not, I'm
1: not that young. No, I'm not a Zoomer. I'm. Well, I'm 27, so I'm like two years away from being a Zoomer. Yeah. I think.
0: I've, I've heard that the cultural cusp of being a Zoomer is if you remember 9-11. If you remember 9-11, you're mm. a millennial. If you don't remember 9-11, you're a Zoomer. Well, I guess
1: I'm a Zoomer. I, I, yeah. That's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, back to stomach rupture. <laughs> We're talking about baking soda. So it can cause further distension mm. and stomach rupture, but also like even if the stomach doesn't rupture, the distension can cause it's, it's called damage. upward displacement of the diaphragm, oh, no. which like compresses your heart and your lungs and it reduces like lung vital capacity. Um and this can cause heart and respiratory failure. Uh so yeah, definitely not the kind of disorder where it's it's like it's only like stigma or like you're a little yeah. you're a little like, you know, guilty, ashamed. I mean those are obviously really that, that's also awful, yeah. you know? But um, it
0: leads, it leads it, it to behaviors that are life-threatening.
1: Yeah, it's, there, it definitely carries like physical risks, yeah. too. The last eating disorder I'm going to talk about for now is ARFID, which stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. And it's really interesting, and you don't really hear about it, but basically people who have it limit the amount of food that they eat, but it's not for it it's not linked to like body weight or body image or anything like that it's almost like a, a really extreme form of food pickiness where in in it like gets worse over time mm. but people with arfid just have like the the food that they can eat gets more and more limited over time um, because they have like food aversions and, you know, the surfeit is very common in people with autism. So I was there's about to say yeah, that. Yeah, so there's a lot of like sensory issues mm. involved.
0: Like some textures don't work. Or so smells then, yeah.
1: or say sounds. Yeah. Sounds is also common. So they tend to have a lack of appetite or interest in food as well as physical symptoms like gastrointestinal issues that don't have a known cause Mm. or like it just like comes out of nowhere and they have maybe an upset stomach abdominal pain so this really prevents them from eating and what's also interesting about this disorder is that it develops a bit earlier than the other ones that we've discussed which tend to develop in adolescence or young adulthood if you can say that Mm -hmm. but this one develops usually in like middle childhood um it's
0: like 10 11 yeah, yeah and
1: Again, like similar to anorexia, uh, this can lead to impaired development because it usually ends up just like calorie restriction. Yeah. So the, the person doesn't, you know, has impaired growth. Yeah. Um, gotta eat. You gotta eat.
0: If you're a young growing child.
1: Yeah. Uh, lastly, there's EDNOS, which is now more commonly known as OSFED, which stands for... <laughs> there's so many There's acronyms. so many acronyms. But it stands for other specified feeding or eating disorder. And it's like a catch-all term for disorders that don't really fit any of the other yeah. eating disorders. Yeah. Miscellaneous. Eating Miscellaneous, disorders. yeah, other. MISC. Okay, I have a few words on epidemiology before we move on to the causes. So normally when somebody thinks about eating disorders, um, they usually think about teenage girls. And it is true that eating disorders affect women like at higher rates than men, but it can affect people of all genders, ages, racial and ethnic backgrounds, and body weights. And I don't want to like throw numbers at you because that's not the most exciting um, thing.
0: Yeah, Excel spreadsheet.
1: (laughs) I actually like Excel. I I know you do. uh, Can I... Tangent. um, I've been... So you know how I'm building organoids for my Mm -hmm. thesis? I have to... uh, (laughs) I have to like measure them every day to, to like sort of see if they're growing. And I put all the numbers in an Excel file and then I build graphs.
0: <laughs> yeah, you send me some of those, those graphs to me like, look at my graphs.
1: They're so nice. <laughs> you love graphs. I love graphs. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, just an indication of like prevalence of feeding disorders. Globally, it's been estimated uh, to affect 8.4% of women and
0: 2.8.4 yeah
1: and 2.2 percent yeah. for men so about 1 in 10 women mm. and 1 in 15 men uh will are or will be affected by eating disorders at some point that's
0: a lot higher than i thought it was because mm. you don't really hear about it that like that's super much like you hear about it sort of like it existing yeah but it's not something that like you encounter in your day-to-day life but yeah. like if it's that common like you kind of it might even kind of would, but yeah. you. Do, but I guess like in a lot of times you don't, it's one of those diseases that you can't really see on the surface a lot of the time. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. But, um, I will say like, this is a global number, mm-hmm. but, um, or a, like a, like a global statistic, but with eating disorders, like you say, it's. Hard to see, carries a lot of stigma, so people tend to not, because a lot of these studies are self-reports, mm-hmm. so a lot of people won't say that they have eating disorders, and also it varies quite a lot between countries, so yeah, it's just an indication, but I, I do take it a little bit with a grain of salt. Mm. It might oh. be higher.
0: Yeah, because like, if, 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 if there is a stigma and then it varies, then, yeah, then it would probably be even higher, yeah. which is even more surprising to me, because yeah. like even this sounds pretty high, uh the fact that it's probably even higher is kinda of scary. Yeah.
1: But also another thing that I was gonna say is that the proportions also vary between eating disorders. So that might also just affect the numbers and also like this ratio between men and women, because different eating disorders affect people of different genders and ages and actual like in like ethnic and racial backgrounds differently. Mm.
0: And even like social class, right? And like even social class. Uh, I think we exactly. might get to that a bit later. That like eating disorders are more common in the the higher up in class you go typically
1: some of them are
0: yeah some of, yeah obviously not all right yeah and i just think that that's that's, that's really interesting to me mm-hmm. like, actually that like, that's something that happens again with this like the psychological impact of the culture that we live in mm. and i guess in some cases also it's 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 a situation of like some people don't know that they have an eating disorder mm-hmm. right yeah exactly cuz like they can i can i can i can probably assume that like a significant amount of men for example who I know. I know. We're going to talk about this a bit later, but like a lot of men who eat in a certain way in order to like
1: gain muscle, gain think, muscle mass. Yeah, for example, they think like, it's it's normal or yeah. just something people do. And a lot of eating disorder behaviors are very normalized.
0: Yeah, um, think, and, and kind think, of like yeah. they're
1: not they're they're not seen as something like pathological. It's just something yeah. that you do.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's that's sort of what the point that I wanted to get at. That yeah. because it's sort of normalized. Like yeah, how how, because, how would you know unless yeah. you sort of like dug into the way that you eat yeah like what is
1: healthy eating and what is intuitive eating and what is actual disorder eating and just to go back to the thing that we were talking about earlier with the dsm-5 a lot of eating disorders have very like strict diagnostic criteria so i think that really prevents people from looking at their eating habits and be like well this isn't normal Yeah, (laughs) you might do everything that an anorexic person does but if you're if you're not like a certain low like a very low weight you're not gonna yeah
0: you're not gonna be die like' you're criteria- not gonna be diagnosed diagnosed, yeah. you might
1: not look at what you're doing critically
0: yeah a lot um, and I guess that's, that's the case with like a lot of mental illnesses yeah. too right like a lot of people are, are like a lot of people are just sad all the time and like oh but I don't have like this specific criteria for depression that I heard about one time so I don't have depression mm-hmm. I'm just sad every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just just as an example, yeah, yeah I guess that's also one of the reasons why, uh, in some communities, like self self diagnosis is becoming like a, m- a more common thing for sure. In like, order to like, count- to like people, yeah, to like counter that sort of like strictness yeah. within diagnosis cause, yeah. like, that keep- cause, because that keep because that keeps people out. So mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. the idea is that like it's better to yep. self diagnose to to get let, get people in. Uh, yeah, I have yeah. beef
1: also with people who are really against self-diagnosis. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I definitely see... I have beef with everyone. We have,
0: This podcast has beef. <laughs> if you're um, a medical history podcast out there that is against self-diagnosis, <laughs> we're coming for you. I mean, I
1: definitely see the criticisms against mm-hmm. self-diagnosis. But like for some people... Like, what are you going to do? Like, wait five years for... First of all, because a lot of mental health... Services. Like, services are inaccessible for a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, for example... Sweden, it
0: takes, uh, f- it takes, fucking forever.
1: literally you are on a waiting list to get on the waiting list. And then the investigation takes years. And you know, you might be three years in and they might be like, well.
0: You, you know, got 54 out of 55 points, so.
1: Or 54 out of hundred and you need 55. Or, yeah. you know, you, we need to talk to your parents to see what you were like when you were a kid, but your parents are not available. So unfortunately we can't continue with the investigation, sorry. You're neurotypical.
0: <laughs> you get nothing. You get nothing. Yeah.
1: Um, so, you know, in some cases, you kind of need to self-diagnose. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Sorry for the tangent.
1: Sorry for the tangent. No, I'm sorry for the tangent. No, I'm also sorry for the tangent. So some of the differences between different groups is that anorexia is common in women like i said earlier but bulimia nervosa for example is a lot more common in men mm. black and hispanic teenagers are significantly more likely than white teenagers to exhibit bulimic behavior but and this surprises no one black indigenous and people of color are less likely to be asked about eating disorders or to be diagnosed than white people
0: i wonder why i
1: wonder why Asian American students, on the other hand, report higher rates of body dissatisfaction and negative attitudes toward obesity, and consequently have higher rates of restriction than their non-Asian peers. Um, The LGBTQ community, uh, unfortunately, I am sad to say that it it has a lot of um, it has a very high incidence of eating disorders, with gay men being seven times more likely to binge eat and 12 times more likely to purge than heterosexual men. Tracks tracks unfortunately trans college students report experiencing disordered eating at four times the rate of cisgender classmates and gender dysphoria is cited as a big reason uh, why people like you know have these habits these like restrictive eating habits it's and it's to change their bodies without resorting to hormonal treatments
0: i I would see, actually, like, at the beginning of my transition, I think it's less common now, mm-hmm. uh, but I might just be older. <laughs> but I remember when I was starting my transition, uh, when I was 18 years old, I would see, like, on message boards, people being, like, if you are, if you're trans and you're, like, 13, 14, 15, and, eat like, and you're to, trans like, feminine, mandible, yeah, yeah, you should you should eat less so that you stop growing. Mm. Um, and that's so, going to be helpful in your transition later. And, like, I remember seeing that then and being, like, the fuck? <laughs> that's stupid. <laughs> Mm. Like, that's... Like, I get where they're coming from, right? Like, I can see that sort of, like, if, if your dandruff is so bad that, like, you consider doing that, that, that that's sort of you, something you can do. But, like, you...
1: You're stunting your growth on purpose. Yeah,
0: and, like, doing that doesn't just, like... It doesn't just make you shorter, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it has all the other health effects, like, mm-hmm. to your internal organs mm-hmm. and, like, brain development. There's mm-hmm. Like, you need that kind of nutrients.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think people think about that less... when they have dysphoria and also like a lot of body issues uh, people tend to not think about like and like you know you don't see your organs you see what you look like so people tend to not think about the damage that it does to your internal organs or your your body in general they see skinny
0: yeah but we should think about our organs
1: (laughs) organs are important think about your organs today so back to the back to the script Non-binary people frequently report restricting their eating to appear thin and fit this like androgynous standard. And lastly, like I mentioned before, a major misconception when it comes to eating disorders is that a person suffering from one is thin, but actually a large body size is both a risk factor for developing an eating disorder and the common outcome. Unfortunately, and this again surprises no one, medical professionals still often rely on Fitness is an indicator, so people on large bodies are half as likely to be diagnosed with an eating disorder than thin people. Now, the last thing that I want to talk about is causes and comorbidities. Who's to blame?
0: <laughs> who are we That's coming at?
1: Who are we coming at to break their kneecaps?
0: It's Greg Abbott.
1: It's genes. But here's the thing. There have been lots of studies on the etiology of eating disorders, but we still don't fully know what causes them or even how they're connected. Great. But we do know that there are certain factors that can predispose a person to develop an eating disorder as well as make it worse. Um, Great. Sick. We know that there's a strong genetic element in anorexia, for example. But it's it's a bit of a gray zone because most studies are focused on anorexia. So maybe genetic predispositions exist in the other ones too, but we just don't know about them because we don't study them. Yeah. But anyway, they found eight loci so far. Um so they found 17,000 people with eating disorders and 55,000 controls and so they found eight regions in the genome that carry specific mutations linked to anorexia it is, this, it is statistically significant trait so they they found i think 22 or 23 but eight had the like the most uh, potential yeah. or the most significance so they found eight loci and they also found that these variations were positively associated with the range of psychiatric neurodevelopmental and personality disorders especially obsessive compulsive disorder depression schizophrenia anxiety and autism and negatively associated with traits associate associated with associated um,
0: negatively associated with associated traits
1: (laughs) negatively associated with traits linked to metabolic syndrome so what this means is that people with certain psychiatric disorders are more likely to develop eating disorders while people with traits linked to metabolic disorders like insulin resistance, impaired fasting blood glucose, high blood pressure and so on are less likely to develop eating disorders. But that's the genetic link and of course there's lots of like environmental factors that can change the story. So what I was saying earlier that being because like metabolic syndrome is typically associated with a larger body size. So even though the genetics might make you less likely to, to develop one, you know, being in a larger body makes you more likely <laughs> to develop any yeah. disorder. So it's you kind of have to look also like at you know both environmental and genetic factors. Yeah.
0: So I love that this genetic factor can 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 both make you less predisposed while at the same time mm-hmm. making you more predisposed mm-hmm. at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. So like I kind of suggested psychological factors are huge um there is lots of traits there that, that are associated with the development of eating disorders so anorexia in particular is associated with high levels of perfectionism intolerance of mistakes and uncertainty Rigidity, problems with emotional processing, reduced ability to interpret and reciprocate in social interactions, high sensitivity to social ranking and threat, decreased facial expressivity, and reduced theory of mind. And this means, um, so theory of mind is when you are able to take the other person's perspective, mm-hmm. like putting yourself, yourself in another person's shoes. Yeah,
0: like empathic skill almost, but not not necessarily, but more. Mm, yeah. Per- more like a perspective
1: perspective and here you might also notice that a lot of these factors are also associated with certain psychiatric conditions um, for example perfectionism is associated with ocd as well as rigidity hypersensitivity and emotional processing difficulties are common in autism so there's this kind of tells two different stories um, there's the genetic comorbidity But there's also like a psychological factor because, for example, a lot of of those social difficulties can often lead to a person being isolated, not having a very strong support system. And that can make an eating disorder worse. With bulimia, an associated factor is impulsivity, difficulties in paying attention, and anomalies in reward learning, which Mm. are also common in attention hyperactivity disorder so anorexia is like ADD. OCD yeah anorexia is like OCD autism and then bulimia is like ADHD yeah like they that's have similar what they're associated traits, yeah. yeah and that's what they're associated with but what I think is interesting is that people often transition from one disorder to another um it's very common in people with anorexia to 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 reach like a breaking point mm-hmm. uh, where you know if you starve your body for a very long period of time often what happens is your body kind of like takes the reins Mm -hmm. and
0: kind of overcorrects kind of overcorrects
1: and then people often transition into like a bulimic state
0: Mm.
1: um so genetic predisposition is there but it's definitely not a deciding factor like just, Mm. just because you have certain variations common to an eating disorder doesn't mean that that's All you're gonna have, and like it's gonna prevent you from having another one.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting, like how genetics can can like lead to predispositions, Mm -hmm. but in the end, like a lot of diseases, like mental illnesses and stuff like that, are just they they just happen Mm -hmm. to people. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that's I think that I just think that that's really interesting. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, genetics are not everything.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: Okay. So before I give the word to you, I was also interested in the connection between eating disorders and some of these neurodevelopmental and psychiatric disorders from a more like human perspective Mm -hmm. like i've been talking a lot about genetics and um you know like incidence rates and whatever but like what happens if we go beyond the those like hard science Mm -hmm. elements um
0: let's get physical
1: (laughs) physical physical
0: i want to get physical with the eating disorders.
1: From interviews, autistic people report that a major factor is sensory issues like taste, smell, texture, and the sound of foods, which can lead to food aversions. Um, And then there's also the social aspects of eating, like sitting at a table, eating with others, uh, waiting until everyone is done eating. Um, and so on so these elements also make eating like a negative experience and then another difficulty may be the intolerance of uncertainty and rigid thinking around routines as well as difficulties understanding and regulating emotions so then restrictive eating becomes a coping mechanism which introduces calmness through control and predictability Um, and this element of control and predictability is very common across other neurodevelopmental and psychiatric conditions um, because eating disorders becomes a coping mechanism um, in a chaotic and stressful environment
0: I can see that because it's one of those things where it's like I think you mentioned this earlier too a uh, little and this is something you often hear about eating disorders too where people kind of some people like having the eating disorder mm-hmm. in a way because it's, it's a way for you to sort of like have control mm-hmm. over one thing of your uh, of yeah. your life right because yeah. you're you are eating the food like and it's, mm-hmm. it's a very sort of personal, thing that, that you do every day and I, I guess that's a good way for people to like take control in a situation where they feel like they maybe don't have a lot of control. So that is what eating disorders are and what's causing them. It's typical genes, mm-hmm. uh, but not always. But shit's complicated, clearly. That's what I gathered from your segment. And it's also made my segment about the the history aspect of eating disorders also very complicated, because finding information and researching and fact checking a lot of things have, has been a mess for this one. Because like people, some people study eating disorders, some people study medical history. The overlap of people who study the, the medical history specifically of eating disorders is there's not a lot of people who there's do like that. Two people. <laughs> there's like two people, and like one of them is wrong, and I have to figure out which one. <laughs> It's like you reach a gate and like one of them always tells the truth and one of them always tells a lie. Yeah. What question do you ask? <laughs> uh, and the question is like, how common was eating disorders in upper class Chinese society? And then one of them is like, not at all. And the other one is, we don't know. <laughs> so it's a it's a mess because it's a sort of niche topic. And that's that's sort of how it... That's sort of a limiting factor of today's episode. Um, there are sources about diets and beauty standards but very few of them dig into sort of like the how those aspects impact healthy eating specifically which i think is a the the thing we need to specifically dig in on and it's it's a thing that's even more complicated because what we classify as an eating disorder very much demands a view of what normal eating is and such a thing doesn't really exist until fairly recently in medical history uh so for context of this (laughs) in
1: medieval europe be like, oh, you got bread to eat and you're not hungry all the time? Healthy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like, yeah, like, you know, you like... You got the, a
1: little cabbage in your stew? Bitch, you healthy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you had cheese a week ago? Oh, you're good then. You're good. Um, they did eat a lot healthier than what we think, actually. Like, they had a that, lot more, like, varied diet. Was not
1: varied? In medieval Europe? No.
0: More more varied than you'd think. Uh, but not 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 as varied as today, maybe. Yeah. And like the the idea that some that some persons would eat that there's an idea of what like good eating is as compared to like bad eating it doesn't that's that idea doesn't really exist in medical uh, in medieval history yeah. because it's like if you eat good. If you don't eat bad, yeah, that's basically. No, but as mean, much but, as you okay, get.
1: but like you were saying that they had a more varied diet. I don't know. Uh, you're the historian, <laughs> but but
0: well, you can't live on just bread.
1: No, you can't. No, no. But I thought that. Um, so this maybe might be a misconception. Please correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong. But like just regular people, mm-hmm. um, like let's say they had a little plot of land, like a mm-hmm. out of back. Sure. Didn't they mostly grow like one thing? like one vegetable and then they had maybe a little meat that they would salt and then have like pottage and like a little onion and a little piece of meat and that so, was what they ate all day for a year so
0: this depends a little bit on the history like the idea of of a farmer farming a piece of land of having like one crop on it per season that's a fairly new idea actually mm-hmm. um from from most of uh, of human agricultural history They had this thing of, like, a lot of people live in a village, and the village is sort of centered, and then around that village you have fields, but those fields are in strips, like very thin, long strips, where individual people would go and farm, like, oh, Farmer Johnson, he has those strips, specifically. He doesn't farm the other ones, but he just farms those strips, and he can farm whatever he wants on those. And then everyone else farms on the other strips, but then they, like, together harvest everything, basically. Oh, so do they share? A lot, a lot yeah, a lot more, but like but the idea is that like the 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 division between like what is my field and what is your field is is not as strong, uh, and this basically meant that like more people would grow more things mm-hmm. like they that they would grow multitudes of different things mm-hmm. um, that's fair i and,
1: mean m- a lot of my knowledge about medieval eating is from mm-hmm. like uh history like fiction fictional history books, yeah. Uh, and well, then you
0: have like a bowl of like one potato and like a piece of meat and like, and like that potato didn't exist in medieval Europe at all. Well
1: not potato but like often you hear like about beet. beets and onions and um apples. Yeah. And well, cab- cabbage. Cabbage is a big one.
0: Cabbage they love cabbage. Cabbage is nut- nut- nutritious. Um but the thing the thing that's like there's that we- not
1: varied. Like that's that's the thing I'm saying. I guess
0: so. But like the, the, the big thing that sort of like impacts the way we view medieval farming is something cl- called uh en- enclosement or the enclosure uh act, specifically in the UK, but like every country has like a version of this, where they would uh rich landowners would take a plot of land instead of like having a thin strip they would take a plot of land and just put a fence around it Mm -hmm. like enclose the space that's why that's why it's called enclosure Uh, and then they would grow one crop on that big field and then that incentivized farmers to move away from the village and like put a house at their field right Mm -hmm. because suddenly you're not sharing anything and you want to live close to your field so you don't have to work as much and you can keep an eye on your shit uh, and this is what leads the village structure of medieval U- Europe to sort of like dissipate a little bit and you get individual farmhouses everywhere. Um, tra- tragic moment in human history, a, lo- a lot of like left wing historians will say, because you had this like more communal structure where like it was a bit more sharing the divisions between like a private property and common property were not as limited. And then you have the Enclosure Act and suddenly you have my farm and I grow one crop and then I have to sell that crop and buy other crops and this creates like more of a market economy mm-hmm. uh you have to sell your crop to get more stuff which and this leads to a less varied diet actually mm. okay. um
1: so it's time period based it's is very time thinking. period yes yeah.
0: and then obviously some and during some periods in time there's like famines and shit like that
1: yeah bad but uh, yeah
0: <laughs> and but and during all of this time right it's it's less about like there's not really a lot of discussions about like whether or not like how you eat. It's more more based around like that um, you, that how you much eat
1: that you eat and you eat enough. Um, I also love how as soon as we switch sections, you get the brain cell, and I'm the one who's like, you don't <laughs> want that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, like this is where it's different academic fields, yeah, right? Like sure. when you talk yeah. about like science and genetics and stuff like that, like I I'm like, aha, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> we go beat that down the sounds, genes.
1: That sounds
0: Complicated. That
1: sounds bad if your stomach descends too much. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Necrotic is not good.
1: And then you, you go we... into history and, and you're like starvation periods. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. Starving is typically not a good thing.
0: <laughs> but like during this time, doctors aren't really writing a lot about like the way that we eat and mm-hmm. the way we should eat. It's more in the sense of like that that people do eat. Sometimes people will come in with like malnutrition and stuff like that, but that's like a a specific individual case rather than a sort of like disease that people discuss. To, to develop the eating disorder, we first need to develop an idea of healthy eating. So that's like a big part of the the segment that I'm, that I'm, that I have. And to get some context for this, uh, we want, uh, well, I want to talk about the ancient Romans, classic banger topic in medical (laughs) history. So you may have heard the myth that Romans would go and, Feast until they were full, and then they would go to the vomitorium where they would throw up their food, and then they would go back to feasting and eat uh, mm-hmm. as much as they could. And this is kind of a myth, but not fully a myth. So the the vomitorium is not a room in like a rich person's house where they go to vomit. It's like the exit room of an arena, typically. So like the Colosseum has like a bunch of vomitoriums because like when the gladiator fights are over, people people are vomited out of the stadium and they are sort of out of the stadium. (laughs) And that's why we call it vomiting. Because
1: something is exiting.
0: Yeah, something is like being, yeah, something something is exiting. That's basically what that means. But the vomiting would happen on occasion, especially within the like super rich parts of society where they would have these like lavish feasts. Mm. And here's a quote from Roman historian Seneca the Younger talking about like the, the... the opulent rich. They bring together from all regions everything, known or unknown, to tempt their fastidious palate. Food, which their stomach, worn out with delicacies, can scarcely retain, is brought from the most distant ocean. They vomit that they may eat, and eat that they may vomit, and do not even deign to digest the banquets, which they ransack the globe to obtain. So you can see some class uh, class commentary there from Seneca. <laughs> they ransacking yeah. the earth. Mm-hmm. The, you could say this today, by the way, mm-hmm. to about rich people. Um, but they do speci- he does specifically mention vomiting as a thing that people do.
1: Can I just make a quick personal comment yeah. on the on, on the whole feasting and vomiting mm-hmm. phenomenon? I don't get it. <laughs> because who okay, like you vom- first of all, vomiting is extraordinarily unpleasant, right? Yes. And then so you vomit and then you eat more.
0: Well, they... does that
1: not completely ruin your appetite? Like if I'm sicky to my stomach, <laughs> I want to lay in bed and like lay under the covers, curl up under the covers mm-hmm. and like weep.
0: So this is where the controversy comes in, right? This is what people would say about the rich that they would do, like that they would vomit and then they would go back to eating mm-hmm. to be even more opulent. But that part might also be a myth. Mm-hmm. They might just have e- they might just have gone to feasts and ate so much Mm. that they had to vomit and they were fine with that. Like they would just, they would just gorge themselves and then they would vomit and Mm. then, but then they would go home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um,
1: See, I, I, that, that, I I buy more.
0: Yeah. That sounds a bit more realistic to me, but I mean, there's, I mean, there's almost definitely been like one Roman emperor who vomited and then had a a bit more to eat. Right. But like as a social phenomenon, more likely it is that like, they just ate a lot at Mm -hmm. the banquets.
1: And I want to say like, that's my own, (laughs) Kind of first impression when i hear this mm-hmm. like you know maybe for some people it doesn't really matter but i me personally <laughs> if i was a roman emperor <laughs> i wouldn't want to do that
0: yeah no i i get it mm-hmm. the roman historian suetonius also mentions uh of one of the four emperors after nero no one i didn't find a good source on who which one specifically um but that one of these emperors would lay on his back after a long feast and irritate his throat with a pen in order to vomit like he would just he would go away into a corner he would like
1: why would he lay on his back
0: seems like a bad position <laughs> seems for like vomiting, a really but, bad position um but that is but that's what he did and by modern days my man that,
1: my man was lounging <laughs> even even when vomiting he was like let me let me lay on
0: this in this lounge. long <laughs> I'm going to land this Ottoman (laughs) that I don't have a name for. (laughs) What's an Ottoman? I don't know. (laughs) Weird. But by modern day standards, this is obviously not normal eating, right? Like today, if you go to a feast and eat so much that you have to throw up and you see that as normal, people People will will, be like...
1: People will pull you aside and be like, I don't know, I think you should... You
0: should leave. (laughs) You should seek help.
1: You should seek help, I think.
0: But for Roman society, and especially like the elite, this was kind of seen as normal. Um, By the masses, by the plebeians... It was seen as an example of extreme excess by the wealthy. But the idea that they would eat until they vomited wasn't necessarily seen as like a health issue. Mm-hmm. It was just seen as like, they can afford to do this, and it's a sort of like a power move to do it. Vomiting itself was seen as a healthy thing to do if you needed to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like Roman doctors and Greek, ancient Greek doctors before them uh, wrote about vomiting that is a sort of like natural response that the body has if it needs to. And if you feel the need to do it, doing it is like a healthy thing to do. And I
1: mean, that's still true.
0: Yeah, but I don't think necessarily that they considered the idea that you could intentionally put your body in a state where you would have to vomit. And, you know, like by the philosophy of the time, like vomiting then is still good. Like you, yeah, you ate a lot, but now you're a little sticky. Now you need to throw up and that's fine. <laughs> um today we would probably say that like yeah of course you need to throw up when you need to throw up but if you eat to the point where you need to throw up on a regular basis like or like you do that intentionally like that's not a that's not a normal body response yeah i think that's where the that's where the limit comes and like vomit and like as you say vomiting is a good thing right uh a, a roman doctor here says better out than in i always say and that's by dr Shrek.
1: <laughs> i love dr Shrek.
0: <laughs> favorite <get> doctor <laughs> Dunkey. No, it's Roman, so it's Dunconius. <laughs> Come, Dunconius.
1: Shrekonius.
0: Shrekonius. Shrekonius the Younger. Um, F- Fionius. It kind of works. Fiona kind of works like a. <laughs> Shrek, Shrek is a good movie. We need to move on. Fucking love Shrek. Fucking love Shrek. Other than this, eating disorders and extreme fasting or other similar issues are practically non existent in ancient Greek or ancient Egyptian medical texts. Like as I mentioned, it's not really brought up a lot, but there are some historical texts and situations that are very similar to many eating disorders as, as we would see them today, but for quite different reasons. Because today, and I mean obviously through a lot large parts of history, we are surrounded by beauty standards in a way that maybe people in the past weren't. Makeup and fitness weren't big hobbies in surf society after all. But what was important was piety and purity. And while there are few references in medical texts to, like, fasting, there's a lot of references in religious texts and ritual texts about fasting, and specifically unhealthy fasting. Because one way to be more holy and to be more pious, not just in Christianity, but in many religions, but mostly Christianity, because Eurocentrism, yay. One way to be more holy and pious there was to not indulge in simple pleasures, like you would stand the pleasures of the flesh, uh, and one of those pleasures is eating because you like eating so if you don't do it that means that you're closer to god logic i guess <laughs> and to not eat was a phenomenon that was a lot more common among women during this time and for this reason too that it would that it would like bring women closer to god and this was a phenomenon that has been dubbed holy anorexia obviously like from a modern day perspective, because mm. Anorexia didn't exist at the time. But yeah, like, like withstanding from food and like not eating was a way for women to emulate the suffering of Jesus Christ. Uh, and that's sort of the, the motivation that a lot of people used for this. Problematic, but you know how it is. Mm-hmm. One remarkable case is the case of St. Wilgus Fortis of the 14th century, which means strong virgin. Uh, Who starved herself and took a vow of chastity in order to avoid an arranged marriage. And allegedly, she even asked God to make her ugly. And scholars today, because she's a saint, so it's it's a lot of like Christian scholars, like Vatican scholars, have put a lot of like focus on how she did this in order to come closer to God and she was very pious and like she did a miracle or two. But there's a very easy explanation that I see here that, like, she wanted to get out of the arranged marriage. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe she didn't ask God to make her ugly to get closer to God. Do you know what I mean? Or, like, she stopped eating or, like, took a vow of chastity to be closer to God. Maybe she just didn't want to marry this, like, like, strange dude.
1: Yeah. Or, you know what my theory is? Maybe she was a lesbian. One of us. One of us. (laughs) We're
0: claiming St. Louis' Fortress. Also, um, you
1: call her Wilgisfortis. Her name, I think, is Wilgifortis. Fortis.
0: I mean, it's... it's gal-
1: Wilgisfortis is... <laughs> it's, I don't think that's
0: her name. Well, it's gal- it's Galician. Galician. And I don't know how to pronounce Galician names mm-hmm. from the Middle Ages. So...
1: But it's definitely not Wilgus Fortis. It's
0: No, I'm doing... I'm butchering... I'm, I apologize to the Galician people uh, for butchering the name of your saint.
1: Very disrespectful. Very disrespectful.
0: Um... Another case that's probably more a bit more familiar to modern-day eating disorders it was the case of Mary of Oynes of the 12th century.
1: Oynes, maybe because I don't think you pronounce the G. Oynes.
0: Oynes. Um, she wanted to suffer as Jesus did, and she would only eat bread that was so stale that it would hurt to eat. Uh, she lived in poverty despite coming from a wealthy family, and eventually refused to eat anything except for that a uh, communion wafer they give you a church, the body of Christ cracker. That is the only thing that she did. And she's like she she is much more a case of like typical holy anorexia due to the fact that she she doesn't have a sort of, this sort of like excuse or, mm-hmm. or like the, she the other cho- reason. Yeah.
1: Like she just chose to do it. Yeah. She she had better options, but she won with this one. She had much better
0: options. Yeah. Like honestly. But she yeah she chose to just eat the communion wafers and then because the communion wafers aren't very nutritious. Mm-hmm. It uh, so happens. So happens that the body of Christ, not a lot of nutrients. But yeah, she, so she died of starvation because of mm-hmm. this. Now, this is obviously different from anorexia nervosa, which is often connected to an issue of self image or body dysmorphia or some sort of trauma, like you mentioned. But none of these things are universally seen in cases with holy anorexia. Which is why scholars are a little bit divided on whether or not you should see this as a as an eating disorder specifically, because an eating disorder again is a very modern term for something that we call, or we should see it as what we historians say uh, a legitimate form of self-expression. Like you can choose you because like you can choose to do this, you mm-hmm. can choose to do this today and not have a disorder in doing so. But because today we're much more likely to sort of attribute people diseases, it like. If a young girl did this today in order to be closer to Jesus Christ and didn't have, like, ideas of self-image or anything like that, like, no psychological issue behind it, uh, but still did this, she might still be classified as having anorexia because she still has the sort of, like, she still has the behavior of becoming, of reducing her food intake to, like, meet a standard that she wants to live up to. But because, because, like, we don't really know the reasons for why people did things, it's, it's very... Yeah, scholars are divided on this yep. issue. So to say, I
1: guess I, m- I mean I guess the the point here or the the dividing issue is like what's more important: is it the starving yourself or is it the reason why you're doing it? Because mm. with anorexia, it's like you know a major deciding factor is whether you have body issues, mm-hmm. you know, whether you have body dysmorphia. Like it's very connected to body image. Yeah. Um,
0: but uh, but like in the, but at the same time, like body image changes over time, right? Because, like, the, the uh, one big reason, like, that people describe purity in a lot of these girls, for example, is because they are thin. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus, like, allegedly, you know, was starved and was thin. And yeah. Because that, so, like, it, it, it's like, and, like do, like, pure, do this, yeah. yeah. does that, like, body image come from, like, wanting to be hot in advertising? Or does it come from wanting to be thin, like Jesus, closer to God? Like, the, the result is still the same. Um, yeah. And like,
1: they're still bo- like, they're still body image related to that.
0: Yeah. But not, you know, these people didn't really write down like today I have body image issues and body dysmorphia. You know, they said more like, I wish to suffer like Jesus, blah, blah, blah. So like, you have to make like this interpretation about like, how, how connected are they really? And like, again, like not a, not a lot of people have done research on this. And every, every single person that I could find had a different opinion on whether or not this is an eating disorder or just problematic forms of self-expression
1: mm, mm, for sure but i have um i have seen a lot of people use anorexic as just a way to describe uh somebody who doesn't eat and also yeah. is skinny so i think and i, I mean, yeah then you have the problematic thing of like whoever you need to be skinny to be anorexic but i just think there's kind of a pretty i mean like the term is used pretty liberally and it's it's not always connected to body image so but like you say there's a lot of diverse opinions on the matter
0: yeah welcome to history people disagree
1: welcome to any field more <laughs> studies humanity. and science more studies needed
0: yeah i just feel like in a lot of hard sciences like eventually you can do a study and find out the answer in history it's a, it's a lot more like you can do all the research you want but at the end of the day you're just gonna have to come up with an opinion
1: well that's only because for you it's kind of impossible to find out data like if information is missing if information is lost you can't reach that answer yeah
0: but that's still the case you yeah, know what sure. i mean like we that's sort of a big defining aspect of history too yeah uh because if we could go back and do studies on people in the past then we wouldn't be historians then we would be like archaeologists or uh like we would be like we would be in like another type of field mm. unfortunately it's shit sex
1: lots of history is just making up shit
0: <laughs> kind <clears> of <throat> But so far we've only talked about um, Western eating disorders before, like anorexia becomes a recognized phenomenon. And I want to quickly mention fasting in other religions, specifically Eastern religions, because this, this idea that you can starve yourself in order to be closer to God it's not an idea that was like born in Christianity. It was an idea that was more um, that was around in like pre-Hellenic India. And then it sort of spread to spread to your via there because fasting has been like a much more common phenomenon in Eastern religions for a significant amount of time. And with the idea that the earth is a bad place, the earth kind of sucks. And if you starve yourself and you sort of develop the, the mental discipline to be able to like withstand food... Uh, that is a way for you to become disconnected from like the earthly plane, and that is a way for you to like reach some sort of enlightenment. Uh, like, like even like significant figures in like Eastern religion theology have done fasting in order to like reach this type of enlightenment. For example, uh, Varhamana, who is the founder of Jainism, he died of fasting uh, in the sixth century B.C.E. and he he definitely saw it as a way to sort of separate the mind from the body, and has, has been like a, a staple of Eastern religion since then. And after after Alexander the de Great decided that he was going to create a big ass Greek empire and walked up to walked, walked up to India, this idea of like being disconnected from the earthly plane and like reaching some sort of enlightenment like traveled back through the Hellenic empires into ancient Greece and then into like roman times and then into christianity so that like that idea has sort of like traveled over time from there but instead of like reaching enlightenment you get closer to god but there are also many other reasons why people stay away from eating um and so to drag this back to europe i want to quickly talk about the almost like fad of young women specifically like staying away from food not just for religious reasons that was often like the stated goal of why they didn't eat but also just for for fame and for getting attention, mm. uh, because some of these women would like they would survive a long time without eating, and like that was like a big deal at the time that God could sustain them mm. through faith alone, that they mm. didn't need to eat anymore.
1: They even made a movie about that, didn't they? Or yes. inspired from this phenomenon? What was it called?
0: Uh, this was called the Wonder, and it's on Netflix. The Wonder, yeah. And. Um, it's this idea that like people would people would starve themselves in order to be closer to God, and then they didn't need to eat, um, and then they would become like a local celebrity. Like people would travel to meet them, and they would give gifts to the family, um, and they would like people would write about them in the news and things like that. And this became like a big bigger phenomenon too when the printing press became popular, mm-hmm. and people would like read of other people doing it. So like it became a sort of like social media fad mm-hmm. of the time. The uh, first
1: celebrity magazine.
0: Sort yeah.
1: <laughs> Ever invented. <laughs>
0: um kind of. And like the like they, the, they like,
1: sell it like by the tavern, you know?
0: Yeah. Hear ye hear ye. Listen Local to the go- first fashion trends. <laughs> the potato has been introduced into <laughs> the diet. It is poisonous. Do not eat it.
1: People will be like, this is garbage. I'm gonna eat it anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but because of this it's also like very difficult to sort of like track down what is what is a real disease. And what is a sort of, like, people do for attention? Because some people, right, legitimately did it to get attention. Mm. And this is one thing that kind of sucks to say that, like... Because sometimes people say, like, today, the to mm-hmm. young girls, like, oh, you're not eating because you want attention. And, like, but it's a disease. Like, obviously, it's a... Mm, but, like, some yeah. people, historically... Yes. Just straight up did do it. For but also, reason.
1: like, if a person is going to that length to get attention, then, like... To me, that's a little bit,
0: but and a lot of people yes.
1: share this opinion. That is like a pathology in itself because a person is like clearly starved mm-hmm. for attention and like it's a cry for help.
0: But like yes. happy
1: people don't starve themselves. But
0: but a lot of these people didn't actually starve themselves because they would lie about eating. True. So a lot of them, and those are the specific people that I'm talking about, like people who would, people who would still eat, but they would eat in secret. Uh, and then they would just pretend that they didn't eat and lie in order to get, like, like those sort of specific people I'm talking about. So, like, this phenomenon would be, like, quite popular, specifically, like, in the 16th century. So, like, in the 1500s, became, this became, like, a pretty big fad. And, like, in one example of, like, people coming over to, like, test the girl, uh, like, a bunch of doctors took this girl to an orchard with a lot of exotic fruits
1: like a girl who was refusing to
0: eat. exactly or like yeah and they would like they would like test her mm-hmm. uh, and like try to treat her for like if they if she wanted treatments or something like that but like they wanted to yeah like test her to see what what was up and they took her to an orchard to sort of like be infused with like the scents and the flavors and the colors and stuff like that to see if that could help and she tried half a peach no half a have a cherry mm-hmm. and uh, according to your record she almost died mm-hmm. from eating half a cherry which which like brings to attention this idea of like what did you what did what was it called like refeeding refeeding
1: something? syndrome yeah i was gonna say so there is a little bit of truth to that that when a person like chronically restricts mm-hmm. their food intake for a long time then for like it's not as simple as like oh just eat like just eat and you'll be fine some somebody who suffers from anorexia who's been restricting for a long time they need to like food needs to be reintroduced in a very in a very specific way and like they need to be monitored mm. because their body can go into shock yeah. if they eat too much um, at first so I don't really think that half a cherry would induce that, but mm. it can definitely like happen like that's yeah. a real thing
0: but none of this is about modern eating disorders, but you can sort of see where the the foundation is being laid for doctors to study disordered eating among specifically young girls mm-hmm. so that is part one of this very very long episode <laughs> uh, it takes us three hours to record this one it was a long one the script almost double as, double as long as our normal mm. uh scripts
1: which by the way this has like i'm noticing that our episodes are getting longer and longer yeah and i think even the no breast cancer so the, the episode before this was fine but comas was like that. Yeah. So I'm, and breast cancer was pretty long too. So I think we need to cut it out. I think we need to start shortening our episodes because nobody wants to listen to a two-parter. Or yeah. I don't know. Do people well, like well, I hope
0: you one? will, dear listener, because this is a two-parter because this is the end of part one. Yeah. Um, but the next episode should be coming up on the list. And if you're a patron of ours, the full episode is already up for you too for you to watch and listen to
1: but if you're listening anywhere else then the new episode should be coming soon um hope you enjoyed part one in part two we're going to be discussing about modern history of Mm -hmm. eating disorders and also upcoming eating disorders (laughs) coming
0: up coming up new releases (laughs) at the eating disorder expo
1: new eating disorder just dropped (laughs)
0: Uh, but listen to that in part two and we will see you then